We are in Acts chapter 22, verses 23 through chapter 23, verse 35. Quite a long portion of scripture. I'm going to read it through fairly quickly. Follow along as I'm reading, and then definitely go back and read it again. Many of you may be reading these portions even before, on a, before a Sunday morning as such, but I would encourage you, read them. Read these scriptures again and again, and let the word get into you, because we're reading about stories, just accounts of what's going on. But through it, the Lord speak, will speak to you. And so in addition to anything that you may hear on a Sunday morning, hear from the pulpit, I, I, I am confident that as you read the same set of verses at home, the Lord will speak to you and will continue to lead and guide and direct your thinking. So Acts chapter 22, verse 23. As they were shouting, so the Jewish people, that they were, they were shouting against Paul, they, as they were shouting and throwing off their cloaks and flinging dust into the air, the commander ordered that Paul be taken into the barracks. He directed that he be flogged and interrogated, interrogated in order to find out why the people were shouting at him like this. Was, isn't that a great method? You know, why are the people shouting at you? Let's beat you till you tell us why they are shouting at you. As they stretched him out to flog him, Paul said to the centurion standing there, is it legal for you to flog a Roman citizen who hasn't even been found guilty? When the centurion heard this, he went to the commander and reported it. What are you going to do? He asked, this man is a Roman citizen. The commander went to Paul and asked, tell me, are you a Roman citizen? Yes, I am, he answered. Then the commander said, I had to pay a lot of money for my citizenship, but I was born a citizen, Paul replied. Those who were about to interrogate him withdrew immediately. The commander himself was alarmed when he realized that he had put Paul, a Roman citizen, in chains. The commander wanted to find out exactly why Paul was being accused by the Jews. So the next day he released him and ordered the chief priests and all the members of the Sanhedrin to assemble. Then he brought Paul and had him stand before them. Paul looked straight at the Sanhedrin and said, My brothers, I have fulfilled, notice, my brothers, I have fulfilled my duty to God in all good conscience to this day. At this, the high priest Ananias ordered those standing near Paul to strike him on the mouth. Then Paul said to him, God will strike you, you whitewashed wall. You sit there to judge me according to the law, yet you yourself violate the law by commanding that I be struck. Those who were standing near Paul said, How dare you insult God's high priest? Paul replied, Brothers, I did not realize that he was the high priest. For it is written, Do not speak evil about the ruler of your people. And he's referring to a verse in Exodus chapter 22, verse 28, which says, Do not blaspheme God or curse the ruler of your people. So he, because the high priest and the others had come into the Roman courts, the high priest was probably not wearing all of his robes and so on. And so Paul doesn't recognize him. He doesn't know that he's the high priest. He sort of speaks against him. And then he says, well, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to speak against the ruler of the people. Then Paul, knowing that some of them were Sadducees and the others Pharisees, called out in the Sanhedrin, my brothers, I am a Pharisee descended from Pharisees. I stand on trial because of the hope of the resurrection of the dead. When he said this, a dispute broke out between the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and the assembly was divided. The Sadducees say that there is no resurrection, and that there are neither angels nor spirits, but the Pharisees believe all these things. 
there was a great uproar and some of the teachers of the law who were Pharisees stood up and argued vigorously. We find nothing wrong with this man, they said. What if a spirit or an angel has spoken to him? The dispute became so violent that the commander was afraid that Paul would be torn to pieces by them. He ordered the troops to go down and take him away from them by force and bring him into the barracks. The following night, the Lord stood near Paul and said, Take courage. As you have testified about me in Jerusalem, so you must also testify in Rome. The next morning, some Jews formed a conspiracy and bound themselves with an oath not to eat or drink until they had killed Paul. More than 40 men were involved in this plot. They, were in, they went to the chief priests and the elders and said, We have taken a solemn oath not to eat anything until we have killed Paul. Now then, you and the Sanhedrin petitioned the commander to bring him before you on the pretext of wanting more accurate information about his case. We are ready to kill him before he gets here. But when the son of Paul's sister heard of this plot, he went into the barracks and told Paul. Then Paul called one of the centurions and said, take this young man to the commander, he has something to tell him. So he took him to the commander. The centurion said, Paul the prisoner sent for me and asked me to bring this young man to you because he has something to tell you. The commander took the young man by the hand, drew him aside and asked, what is it you want to tell me? He said, some Jews have agreed to ask you to bring Paul before the Sanhedrin tomorrow on the pretext of wanting more accurate information about him. Don't give in to them because more than 40 of them are waiting in ambush for him. They have taken an oath not to eat or drink until they have killed him. They are ready now, waiting for your consent to their request. The commander dismissed the young man with this warning, don't tell anyone that you have reported this to me. Then he called two of his centurions and ordered them, get ready a detachment of 200 soldiers, 70 horsemen, and 200 spearmen to go to Caesarea at nine tonight. Provide horses for Paul so that he may be taken safely to Governor Felix. He wrote a letter as follows, Claudius Lysias to His Excellency Governor Felix. Greetings. This man was seized by the Jews and they were about to kill him, but I came with my troops and rescued him for I had learned that he is a Roman citizen. It's not quite what happened, but he's trying to gain favor with Governor Felix. I wanted to know why they were accusing him, so I brought him to their Sanhedrin. I found that the accusation had to do with questions about their law, but there was no charge against him that deserved death or imprisonment. When I was informed of a plot to be carried out against the man, I sent him to you at once. I also ordered his accusers to present to you their case against him. So the soldiers, carrying out their orders, took Paul with them during the night and brought him as far as Antipatris. The next day they let the cavalry go on with him while they returned to the barracks. When the cavalry arrived in Caesarea, they delivered the letter to the governor and handed Paul over to him. The governor read the letter and asked what province he was from. Learning that he was from Cilicia, he said, I will hear your case when your accusers get here. Then he ordered that Paul be kept under guard in Herod's palace. What drama! I mean, these could be scenes right out of an action movie. Right? Uh, like opening to, you know, like coming this week. You know, I mean, you, you know, you could... You could very well see all this, a murder plot, secret meetings, escape in the middle of the night. 200 soldiers, 70 horsemen, and 200 spearmen deployed for the sole purpose of safely escorting Paul 
out of Jerusalem to Caesarea. The power and protection of the Roman army employed on Paul's behalf. And why? All because Paul was a Roman citizen. We've seen how Paul identified himself as Jewish and aligned himself closely with Jewish beliefs and practices. He speaks confidently of Jesus as the Messiah foretold in Jewish scriptures because of his Jewishness, because he knows all of these things. He appeals to his fellow Jews because of his Jewishness. But here in Acts 22 and in other scriptures, we see that Paul identifies himself as a Roman citizen, one who acquired his citizenship at birth, in order to claim certain rights of that Roman citizenship. A Roman citizen couldn't be flogged without due process. A Roman citizen could ask for a trial. Paul is rescued from those that are trying to kill him, and he's brought before Roman governors and kings because of his citizenship status. But the message that Paul shares with both the Jews and the Romans was not because of his Jewish or Roman citizenship. When Jesus confronted Paul on the road to Damascus, Paul, who was born as a Jew and a Roman, was born again into an entirely new citizenship. Paul became a citizen of the kingdom of God. And he says very clearly, everyone who has a similar hope in Christ Jesus, all of us who believe in Jesus, are similarly identified as citizens of the kingdom of God. In fact, in Philippians chapter 3, after affirming his Jewish citizenship as such as Jewish credentials, Paul states that he considers all of that a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus Christ as Lord. And he says, I am pressing forward heavenward according to the call of God. And then in Philippians chapter 3, verses 18 through 21, he says this, For as, as I have often told you before and now tell you again with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction, their God is their stomach, and their glory is in their shame. Their mind is set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven. As we eagerly await a savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control, will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. We live in this earth. We are citizens of the nations of this earth. But we are citizens of a heavenly kingdom. And in this world, we tend to focus on our rights and responsibilities as citizens of the nations in which we live. Now, whether you're a citizen of that nation or not, you're bound by the laws of that nation. You're submitting to the laws of that nation. You're maybe desiring to become a citizen of that nation. So, so when I speak about these things and, and I give this context, this applies to all of us. We tend to pay attention to these 
rights and responsibilities of citizens. And if you go to the US Citizenship and Immigration Services government website, this is the official government website that is providing information for those that are seeking to become citizens of the United States, you will find a summary listing of the rights and responsibilities. It clearly says these are the rights, these are the responsibilities of citizens of the United States. And as a US citizen, these are the words that are used by the government. As a US citizen, you have these specific rights. You have more, but they have summarized them to say that these are the specific rights that you have. You have freedom to express yourself. You have freedom to worship as you wish. You have the right to a prompt, fair trial by jury. You have the right to vote in elections for public officials. You have the right to apply for federal employment requiring US citizenship. You have the right to run for elected office. And you have the freedom to pursue life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And then the site also has the responsibilities of citizens. And it says, you have the responsibility to support and defend the Constitution. You have the responsibility to stay informed of the issues affecting your community, to participate in your local community, and to participate in the democratic process. You have the responsibility to respect and obey federal, state, and local laws. You have the responsibility to respect the rights, beliefs, and opinions of others. You have to pay income and other taxes honestly and on time to federal, state, and local authorities. You have to serve on a jury when called upon. And you have to defend the country if the need should arise. Now, these rights and responsibilities that the US government states are similar to those in many other countries. But I want you to understand, they are also vastly dissimilar to many countries where citizens are not allowed to do anything, where they enjoy far fewer rights and freedoms. They don't have any of these things. They live in a very different state of being or existence. And in the US, we debate, we agree, we disagree, and we do it very freely about all of these rights and responsibilities. And we mainly fight for our rights and complain about our responsibilities. Right? That's what we do. We say, ah, oh, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm free to do this. But these responsibilities, ah, oh, yeah. especially the one about taxes. They didn't put that on the top of the list on, on purpose, I think. But you know, that's what we complain about our responsibilities and we fight for our rights. We think, wow, well, that's, that's what we deserve. That's what we're owed, right? But the question I want to bring before you this morning and the question that we need to consider very carefully is this. Are we equally engaged in understanding and then living according to the rights and responsibilities of our citizenship in the heavenly kingdom. Do we pay attention to that? Do we say, Lord, what are my rights in your kingdom? And what are my responsibilities in your kingdom? How do I live 
as a citizen of the kingdom of God. So this morning, very quickly, I want to tell you about the rights and king of the kingdom of God, and then we'll go into the responsibilities of the kingdom of God. And these are by no means exhaustive, the points that I'll make. But these are at least some of the things that we need to think about. And there, are, there is a corollary to the rights that I was reading out in terms of what the US says that the citizens have as rights. But if you think about it, our very entry, our having gained access into the kingdom of God by faith, through the grace of God, when that took place, when we were born again, when we were made new, when we were a new creation in Christ Jesus, and we were ushered in to the kingdom of God, adopted as his own children, and given these rights and privileges of being in the kingdom of God, the, the, these freedoms that the Lord has given us include some of these. And the first one is this. The Bible says that because we are in the kingdom of God, we've been set free from the power of sin and death. Set free from the power of sin and death. That means that we have no difficulty, no trepidation, no concern about living our lives in this earth and no concern about dying in this, from, from this life on earth. All that would go on around us, everything that is happening, we say, oh, you know what? I have the right. I have been given this freedom. I have been set free in Christ Jesus. In fact, in Galatians chapter 5, verse 1, Paul himself is writing about this to the Galatians, but he says, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then, and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Slavery to what? Slavery to sin. Slavery to the flesh. Slavery to the devil. Slavery to the things of this world. Bound in chains even though you think you're free. You think you're pursuing happiness. But in fact, all you're doing is living according to the things of this world. According to your own flesh. According to the deception of the devil. You're not free at all. And so the word is reminding us that we have been set free. We have been given true liberty. Not just, you know... It's my right. But we have been set free in a way that nothing else can do for us. The second thing is that because we are in the kingdom of God, because we are his children, we have the right, we have the privilege to the justice of God and the mercy of God. Otherwise, we don't have that. We're not in his kingdom, so we're not judged by his kingdom in that sense, right? But when we are in the kingdom of God, we have the right to be judged according to the justice of God, which is the best possible thing that could happen. No matter what we have done, no matter where we have come, where we're coming from, it is best for us to fall into the hand of a just and merciful God than to fall into the hands of man. And so the right that we have is that we will have access to God's justice and mercy. And to top it off, 
And, you know, when you claim this right and you say, Lord, I want to be represented in your court of divine law. I want my case to be heard before you. I, you know, I did this out of my ignorance or I did this out of my unbelief or I did this because I was deceived and I want my case to be heard. Guess who pleads your case? Guess who stands up as an advocate for you in God's court? The Bible says that Jesus himself is our advocate. In 1 John chapter 2, verse 1, it says, My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. You, you, you go about your life today and you know you get a speeding ticket and you're thinking, I've got to get the best lawyers, I've got to fight this in court. Guess what? You go through life today and you sin. Oh, guess what? You've got the best advocate ever. You can go before God and say, Oh, God, I need your justice. I need your mercy. But oh, thank you that Jesus is my advocate. Thank you that he stands in the middle for me. Thank you that he pleads my case. Thank you that he says, oh, I shed my blood, I've paid the price, he's, he's okay, he's with me. Oh, thank God that the rights that we have in the kingdom of God to justice and mercy are inclusive of Jesus being our advocate. Praise the Lord. And then you know what? Just like you have this freedom in the U.S. to worship, which some people feel uh, there seem to be lots of restrictions on that. The Lord says, because you are in my kingdom, you have the freedom to worship the true and living God in spirit and in truth. That's not, a, that's not a, an imposition. You better worship. It's a freedom. It's a right. It's a privilege. Think about it, that we would be human beings in this earth, going about our life, able to worship the true and living God, able to come boldly to the throne of grace, able to join with the heavenly hosts and say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, able to sing praises to God, able to look at creation and say, oh God, I worship you. That is a freedom. That is a privilege, that is a right that the Lord has given us as his children. That's exciting. Because in John chapter 4 verse 24 it says, God is spirit and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth, not as an imposition or a, or a rule. It's saying, oh, this is the freedom, this is the privilege, this is the, this is the opportunity you have as a citizen of the kingdom of God. And then, and I'm not going to spend a lot of time on these next two points here because we've talked about this in some ways in the past weeks, but we have the freedom. We have the ability. We have the equipping to bear the fruit of the Spirit, to live with love and joy and peace, to exhibit and to, and to manifest a life of patience, kindness, Goodness, self-control, 
Oh, I mean, the Bible is saying that the Lord is giving us that right. Again, this is not an imposition. This is not, oh, I have to bear fruit. This is, oh God, thank you that you give me yourself and you give me your Holy Spirit so that I may bear fruit. This is a privilege, a freedom, a right that we have. And then we have the freedom to pursue the gifts of the Spirit and to pursue holiness. As a U.S. citizen, go ahead, pursue happiness, go ahead. But don't forget to pursue holiness. Because your call as a child of the kingdom of God or a citizen of the kingdom of God is where the Lord has said to you, I'm giving you the freedom, I'm giving you the ability, I'm giving you every means possible to pursue spiritual gifts. And I'm giving you the means to pursue holiness, to be like me, to be holy because I'm holy. Oh, these are wonderful, wonderful privileges. These are wonderful rights. Every day, we should be waking up and saying, I'm so glad that I'm a citizen of the kingdom of God. Praise the Lord for what he's doing in my life. And then, just as we have all of these rights, these privileges, these things that we can lay claim to when we are in trouble or when we are in need, whatever, we also have the responsibilities of the kingdom of God. And like I said, we often neglect our responsibilities. We claim our rights, but we neglect our responsibilities. And as much as we receive and enjoy and are blessed by the rights we have in God, we have to pay attention to the responsibilities of the kingdom of God. And again, this list that I'm going through is not exhaustive. There are lots and lots of things throughout the word of God that speak to the responsibility we have as a child of God. God doesn't just leave us to ourselves and neither does he just leave us to whatever way we think we should live our lives. He says, here, this is the way, walk in it. And this is the pace that I want you to run this race at. This is the way that I want you to persevere in the race. The rules by which you must run this race and not be disqualified. This is the way in which I want you to plant and to, and to, and to tend and then to harvest. And these are the ways and responsibilities that I'm giving you as a child of mine, as a citizen of the kingdom. So we have a responsibility to pay attention to them. The first and foremost responsibility that I would say to you, and this is parallel to defending and supporting the constitution, the law of the land, the, the ordinances by which we would structure our government and our daily living. The way that the Lord wants us to do that is to say that we must be filled with the word of God and with the Holy Spirit. And we've covered this again in previous weeks, but that is the covenant, that is the constitution, that is the law, that is the word that the Lord has given us. He's communicated it to us. And he says, this is what I'm telling you. And so we have a responsibility to uphold the word of God, to be filled with the word of God, to hide that word in our hearts that we would not sin against him to hold to that word of God, to be guided and directed by that word, to be filled with the Holy Spirit as our instructor, as our guide, as the one who will say, yep, this is the way, yep, 
you're keeping in step with me, keep going, go for it, encouraging us, comforting us, pushing us, urging us, and we have a responsibility to say, Lord God, help me to be filled with your word and to be filled with your spirit. It doesn't matter how young you are, it doesn't matter how old you are. It doesn't matter if you're middle-aged. I don't want to leave you out. You know? uh, I mean, it, it is necessary for us to say, Lord God, you fill me with your word and fill me with your Holy Spirit and help me, help me, Lord, to live according to what you have said, according to your word. Then, as we are filled with the word, as we're filled with the Holy Spirit, one of the greatest commissions that the Lord has given us, what we refer to as the Great Commission, is the fact that he says, you must go into all the world tell them about me, teach them about me, baptize them, and make disciples. Love God, love people, make disciples. This is your commission. This is your responsibility. So we can't simply say, well, I'll receive all the blessings and the benefits of God, and I will even you know, be filled with his word and with his spirit. But going and saying something to somebody else, living my life out in such a way that I'm seeking to make disciples, eh, that's for somebody else. No, we have a responsibility as children of God, as citizens of the kingdom of God, to make the Lord known, to let people see Jesus, to bring them to Jesus, and to make disciples, to work with them, to live with them, to encourage them that they would be strengthened in the Lord and would grow as disciples of Christ. The next thing is that as a citizen of the kingdom of God, we are called to be ambassadors of Christ. Now, the U.S. government appoints ambassadors to all the countries of the world, almost all the countries of the world and regions as such in some cases, but it's only a few people, right? It's, 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 it's not... It's not millions, uh, you know, it's not the entire population. It's not all of the citizens of the, of the U.S. are living as ambassadors of the U.S. government in another nation. But in the kingdom of God, God says, I, I'm not just calling a few. I'm asking all of you to be my ambassadors in the earth. You're on assignment. You are sent by a heavenly kingdom, you are commissioned and empowered and equipped by a heavenly kingdom, by God Almighty, to represent his kingdom in the earth. When the earth says, when the people of the earth say, what does God want us to do? We as the ambassadors of Christ should be saying, this is what God wants you to do. Or, when the people of the world will say, what does God think about this? We should be able to say, as ambassadors of Christ, this is the mind of Christ. Right? As the situation is around, going around the world with COVID, I mean, it has brought the whole world together and everybody's involved and everybody wants to know what the other nation is doing and what does the U.S. think about this and are they going to send relief supplies? Are they hoarding vaccines? You know, what's going on? There's all this talk about what does the U.S. do and the administration and the, you know, the country as a whole has a rep responsibility to represent their position. And in the different nations of the world, the ambassadors 
communicate that official word. We, as ambassadors of Christ, are called to communicate the will of God, the character of God, the word of God. We're called to say, this is who the Lord is. This is what he's about. This is what he wants you to know. And so we are called to be ambassadors of Christ, which is what is said in 2 Corinthians 5.20. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. And the last point that I want to make here about the responsibilities of the citizens of the kingdom of God. Again, like I said, you can go through the word of God and pick out so many more responsibilities. Specific commands, directives, other things that the Lord speaks to us about. But this, this last point that I want to make is this. If you're in a kingdom, there's a king. If you're in a kingdom, you're not the king. Right? So that means that we have to pay attention to the king of kings. We have to say, my responsibility as a citizen of the kingdom of God is to be submitted to and be obedient to the king of this kingdom. In the nations in the world, you can say, oh, I choose not to. I oppose this government thing. I, I, no, I didn't support. You can do all of that. But in the kingdom of God, if you truly are in the kingdom of God, this is not a democracy. This is not, you know, anything other than a theocracy. This is a monarchy. There's one king. And he is above all. Sovereign over all. So what's your responsibility as a citizen of the kingdom of God? You better be faithful to the king. You better be obedient to the king. You better say, hey, my life for the king. The kingdoms of this world have tried to duplicate this, but there is no possibility that they can do that in any kind of proper way because of sin, because of greed, because of so many other things. But in the kingdom of the Lord, in the kingdom of heaven, you know that you are submitting to, that you are obeying the king of kings, who is all good, all just, entirely fair, will show mercy to a thousand generations, whose mercies and kindness are new to us every morning. You never have to be afraid of this king. You don't say, oh, if I submit to this king and he does something that I don't like. No, he only does things for your good. And he works all things together for your good. In the kingdom of this king, oh, you have such wonderful privileges. You are blessed. You are royalty in this kingdom in such a powerful way that you can every day enjoy these benefits, enjoy these privileges as you say, oh, praise God for the King of Kings. And one day, the Bible tells us that he will return. And when he returns, all the kingdoms of this world, all the nations of this world, all the people of this world will bow their knees and confess 
that Jesus is Lord. Don't wait till then. Don't wait till that day. Do it today. Today, confess him as Lord. Today, bow your knee to him. Today, say, Lord, you are the king. And I'm in your kingdom. And I want to remain in your kingdom. And I want to be faithful in your kingdom. And I want to follow the, the, the very practices and the dictates of your kingdom. And in doing so, Lord, God, let your name be glorified in my life. Oh, Lord, God, let me live as a citizen of the kingdom of God. Which means that we respond in that way. When we studied the book of Luke, we spent many weeks understanding our kingdom identity, kingdom power, kingdom revelation, our commission as kingdom messengers, what it means to have been translated from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light, and the timing of the kingdom of God that's to be consummated. The fact that we are in the kingdom of God now, but yet, not yet. Because there is a consummation of the kingdom of God when he returns. And I encourage you to go back and review those truths, review those points. Let the kingdom of God, the concept of the kingdom of God, Jesus spoke about the kingdom of God extensively. And let that concept, let those truths come back to you, be in your head and be in your mind. But this morning, I want to emphasize that as a citizen of the kingdom of God, we have certain citizenship rights and responsibilities. We're called to live out our days on this earth as dual citizens. Citizens of an earthly kingdom or nation and more, more importantly, citizens of a heavenly kingdom. We're called to live out our days on this earth where we're benefiting from the rights and fulfilling the responsibilities of the earthly nation, but also where we're benefiting from the rights and fulfilling the responsibilities of a heavenly kingdom. Heavenly Father, we just thank you so much that, Lord, you have called us into this incredible privilege. Father, your word says that you know the times of our lives, the seasons of our lives, and the boundaries of our dwellings. And so, Father, whether we came into this nation, the U.S., ourselves or our parents came or generations before them came, Lord, you determined the boundaries of our dwellings in that regard so that we are citizens of this nation, this earthly nation. But I thank you, Lord, that even as we consider what the earthly citizenship means, we have to more importantly consider what our heavenly citizenship means. And we pray, Father, that through this week, through the rest of this month, through the rest of our days, we may pay particular attention to, to realize what rights have been given to us, what great blessings and privileges have been given to us, what wonderful ways, Lord, you have shown favor to us. Oh, we thank you for that, Lord. Thank you for that. We don't take it for granted. We don't say, oh yeah, the Lord has to bless me. Oh no, Lord God, we thank you that it is a freedom, a privilege, a right that you have given us as your children, as the citizens of the kingdom. And Lord, we thank you that you've also called us to responsibility. Lord, to take up our cross. Lord, to serve and not be 
counting the cost. To sacrifice and give up rather than just to receive. Lord, to be sharing your love even if we are rejected. Father, to speak your word as your ambassadors. Lord God, to live free from sin and the slavery of sin and to live free from the fear of death. Lord God, we pray that we would do this, pursuing this diligently every single day. Thank you, Lord, that we are your children. We are so grateful. We ask this or pray this and recognize this and commit to live as citizens of the kingdom of God. In Jesus' name, amen.